0: Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, the voice of the construction industry throughout Pennsylvania, presented by P.J. Dick. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien.
1: This episode is part of the McQueen Building Company's Business Leadership Series, an ongoing series of episodes from the Building PA Podcast, brought to you by P.J. Dick. Hello and welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I am co-host John O'Brien from the Keystone Contractors Association joined as always by uh, my fellow co-host Chris Martin. Chris what's going on today brother? Hey John how are things man? Things are great. Life is good. Yeah good
0: good. It's good to uh good to see you. Good to hear you. Hey Uh, hey, everyone this is uh Chris Martin and I am with Atlas Marketing and uh you can find us at atlasstories.com and uh as always, we've got some really good information today, and, and I think John, what what, uh, what what are we talking about? What are we talking
1: about? Well, as you know, we kicked off our leadership series recently, and um, we have another yeah. another great leader joining us today, and this is all part of uh, developing and assisting you know future leaders and current leaders that they can hone their skills. Um, so you know, this is a great series. I enjoy these interviews. And today we're honored to have the Pennsylvania uh, Speaker of the House, Brian Cutler. Brian, how are we doing today, Mr. Yeah. Speaker?
2: Uh, <laughs> very, very good, John. And it's just Brian, please. Just Brian. Uh, you got appreciate it. you guys having me on. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. We want to,
0: looking forward to to listening and hearing what you have to say uh, as we talked beforehand, uh, leading a diverse team. And, and I think you are... Uh, you're definitely the leader that is leading the most diverse team, uh, that we've all heard of lately. So,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: So, uh, yeah, it's awesome to have you. Um, just a quick little bio here. So everyone knows our listeners know Brian has been in the house since, uh, 2007, I believe right after the pay raise debacle. <laughs> and then, uh, he became speaker summer of 2020, I believe right during the, the height yeah. of the pandemic. And, uh, He's been elected by his peers in the House, I believe both sides of the of the aisle, he gave the affirmative vote, so he will have his first full term coming up. Uh, we're, like I said, we're honored to have you. Um, what else do our leaders need to know about you, Brian? Who is Brian Cutler?
2: Uh, well, I mean, I grew up in Southern Lancaster County. It, the mailing address is Peach Bottom, but it's anything but a town. It's very rural. And uh, that probably has informed uh, both uh, how I live life as well as my leadership style, which I'm sure we'll get into here in a little bit. Uh, but blessed with a wonderful wife, of 25 years and three kids and had the privilege of serving uh, my friends and neighbors in the house over the last seven terms and now heading in uh, to my eighth uh, Prior to my entrance into politics, uh, I was an x-ray tech and worked at the hospital mainly second and third shift while I put myself through undergrad. I have an undergrad degree in healthcare administration, did just short of two years in hospital administration and in radiology. And from there, I uh, went and quit my perfectly good job to go to law school full time with the support of my wife. Uh, we had our first two kids while I was in law school and I ran for office my third year of law school and literally won the primary on Tuesday and graduated on Saturday of the same week. So nice. It's it, it's been a whirlwind tour, but it's also been uh, certainly a blessing in many ways.
1: Great. So, so leading up to your time in the house, how have the, your experiences in, in, you know, growing up in Lancaster and your law school and your, you know, your hectic lifestyle, if you will? How, how did that help develop you into a leader?
2: Um, well, a couple things. Uh, my dad raised me with three real simple rules, which I talk about all the time. Uh, the first is you treat everyone with respect. Uh, which I think most people would recognize as the golden rule and uh, you treat everyone as you would like to be treated. And you under, try to understand and appreciate uh, the diversity of opinion that is there. And that certainly is very handy, I think, in my current role. Uh, the other one, which really came uh, both in my prior job as well as this one, was my dad was a big believer. and You never ask somebody to do something that you yourself weren't willing to do. And, uh, you know, for when I worked at the hospital, that meant, you know, when I did the schedule uh, for myself and the rest of the the team members, uh, I worked more, honestly, by default, because I'd make sure I picked up the slack on second or off shift or extra shifts or whatever, whatever was required there. And it, the same, you know, the same life lesson applies uh, here as well. And then lastly, uh, the, uh, and my dad was a big outdoorsman. He loved to hunt, uh, loved to fish, loved to camp. And, um, you know, he was a big believer in leaving things better than you found it. Uh, so we always, uh, you know, we always volunteered uh, still to this day, help on the lo- local watersheds and uh, work in, in those areas. But that also applies to your place of work. Um, you know, try to leave things better than you found it. Uh, try to leave an organization better off than you found it. Uh, try to leave your employees better off. I, I think that really plays into it. Uh, One of the things that I was most proud of when I was in x-ray administration in Lancaster General Hospital uh, was I had a very high turnover rate, uh, but it was because it was an entry-level position and we ended up promoting a lot of people up into the organization. And uh, I took that as a badge of honor because we were looking to better individuals and give them additional skill sets that they could apply elsewhere in the organization and really viewed it more of... uh, a recruitment opportunity and a betterment opportunity than it was the negative of having the high turnover rate. Uh, so I, I think those are some of the, the fundamentals that I learned um, you know, from my parents and tried to apply in my own life. And uh, the other the other theory that I subscribe to, which quite frankly has been very helpful in this world, is known as the 10th man principle. Uh, it, it came out of the 1973 Israeli war. Ah, uh, where they were caught off guard, uh, because everybody agreed that nobody would ever attack them. And the tenth man principle says that if there's ten people around the table and the first nine all agree, it's the duty of the tenth person to argue uh, otherwise. And I have found that that really helps you vet out different ideas, different positions, and gain a better understanding um, of where the issue actually is, what the landscape is, or in the case of floor debate, it helps you understand what amendments, you know, or anticipate what maneuvers might be coming. And I've always found that to be very uh, very beneficial. I'm not a big believer in yes people. Uh, yeah. I'm not looking yeah. for somebody to always confirm that what I'm doing is right. Uh, I ask my staff to openly challenge me all the time. Uh, certainly the members do as well, uh, and because I've shared I shared my my leadership style, if you will, or that, that belief with the members, and they do a very good job of it. Uh, they will challenge me on a daily basis uh, on different issues. But that's how you have a full discussion, and you know that something is fully vetted, and quite frankly, that everybody has had the opportunity to hear every side before they make a decision.
0: Brian, you talked about the 10th man principle, and I know we do something here at Atlas that, that we call it the red team. It's a very similar approach. Can you talk a little bit about how companies or even, you know, our podcast is around construction, how can contractors or engineers and architects apply that 10th man principle to
2: um, their businesses? In, in a lot of ways, it can be applied literally anywhere in life. Um, you know, we all have our, our base beliefs and assumptions. Uh, and I'm sure in your industry, there are certain things that have always been done the way they've been done. Um, you know, my, my house, for example, is on cinder block walls. Um, that's how my house was built and my parents built it. I'm blessed to live in the house that I grew up in. And uh, yet my neighbor who's building the house, you know, I saw the forum show up yesterday and they were pouring the walls. Uh, and, uh, you know, so there's different methods, I guess, in the construction world. I'd, I'd encourage folks not to uh, discourage looking at different ways to do things or approach things. Uh, we had to do that quite often, actually, in healthcare as well. When I worked in interventional radiology, I did about a year and a half, uh, which that's where you do catheterizations and you put stents in and do different things. And uh, medicine, for example, is an art. It's not an exact science. So when you would go in to do something, you know how things should look or should be, but you may have to adjust a little bit on the fly. And Sometimes you would have a discussion about, well, is method A or method B better? And I think that could be applied across all businesses. You know, when you you have a challenging project that is maybe not always the way that you've done something, you should assemble your team, the people whose views you respect, and then have a good discussion about it to try to come up with what the best alternative could be.
1: So uh, you mentioned your your dad earlier, and he sounds like a great person. Some some really good principles that he uh,
2: instilled in you. Any other
1: mentors that that left an impact in in your life?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, both my parents uh, had a profound impact on me. Obviously, growing up. Um, unfortunately, my dad died my senior year in high school, and my mom uh, passed a couple years later. They both were terminally ill with Lou Gehrig's disease, which is you know statistically very rare. They were one of two two living couples at the time in the entire country that both had Lou Gehrig's disease at the same time. Um, But that's actually how I ended up uh, coming into public service uh, because, uh, you know, obviously I was in high school. My sister's two years younger. She was still in high school as all this was going on. And um, our community really rallied around us and helped us during that time. And and we still had fairly normal lives. I worked part-time on a dairy farm. I ran track. My sister ran track and cross-country and uh, they helped us take care of my parents while they were ill. And uh, so when I got to go to law school, I really felt like I had even had that opportunity in the first place because of all of the the assistance and the, the moral support and the prayers, and quite frankly, the hard work that all my friends and neighbors had, had given to us when I was younger. So for me, it, taking this job and taking this responsibility was about giving back to the area. Once I got to Once I got to the hospital, uh, I had a gentleman, Rick Kless, who was the manager of the interventional unit. Uh, And as I alluded to, I worked there about a year and a half uh, and it was on a temporary basis. I helped cover call and maternity leaves for different employees and a permanent position opened up. And uh, this, I think, really speaks to Rick's ability or Rick's insightfulness in building a a good team. I applied for the job. I thought that was what I want to do and interviewed for it and went in and sat down and talked to him. And he says, well, good news. Uh, the job's yours if you want it. Bad news is I don't want you to take it. And I said, what? And, and like, I was in complete disbelief because I kind of been working towards this professional achievement for some time. And he goes here because he you don't know this yet. He goes, but we're going to have a manager opening coming up soon here in the department. He said, I'd like you not to take this job and to consider applying for that one. And he said, I'd much rather have you as a colleague than an employee. And uh, I wrestled with it, and, but respected him greatly. And I did it and had the privilege of serving in management with him for about a, a year and a half to two years. As I as I mentioned earlier, before I, I left the to law school. And honestly, had he not had he not been that forward with me in terms of uh, employee development, because you know, I, I, I'd like to think I would have made a great tag, but he saw a potential in me that was well beyond what his immediate need was and was willing to invest in me. And that same approach is really what I took in to my management role was looking to promote people from within because I think that helps build morale. Uh, I also think it shows that people that work hard uh, are rewarded. And uh, so Rick was certainly a, a huge mentor on me as well. And then obviously when I got to the House, I, I've had many, many members legislatively. Um, Representative Dave Hickernell, who's in Northern Lancaster County, uh, who at, has nominated me both times when I ran for speaker. You have to have a floor nomination. Uh, was a huge, uh, you know, a, a, a huge impact on my life, legislatively learning how to to work through that. Uh, and quite honestly, um, you know, so were Scott Boyd and Katie True. Uh, other members of the Lancaster delegation were a very tight knit crew and uh, Mike Reese uh, who recently unfortunately passed out in western pa uh, was was a huge impact on me as well and uh, we, would, we would we would make fun of each other and we had a great relationship uh, but we also worked really hard And i think that's important in any work environment um, you you can you know it's it's not necessarily work if you enjoy your job and yeah. I, I think that, that morale is important as well and you know in the in the general assembly uh you, you get an opportunity to meet a lot of very diverse and interesting people and uh i always encourage our colleagues to just take the opportunity to get to know someone uh it's easy to not understand what someone's dealing with back home and then assume that something else might be driving their position you know maybe it's political maybe it's uh you know uh, philosophical, you know, whatever that might be, learn, just learn about people uh, and and treat them with respect. And and generally, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I think it helps uh, resolve workplace co- uh, conflicts. Uh, you know, we I work in a place in the General Assembly where, quite frankly, there could be a multitude of conflicts. And sometimes there are, uh, you know, and they flare up from time to time. But the truth of the matter is, last session, more than 95, 96% of our bills, I think it was, were bipartisan. Sixty five percent were unanimous. You don't put up those numbers because you disagree all the time. You put up those numbers because everybody has a common goal, which brings me to the last point in terms of leadership. Uh, I, I think it's important to have a vision. Uh, I am a believer and uh, I, the Bible is very clear. It says that if uh, people without a vision will perish and if your team doesn't know what they're working towards, they will. We'll never know what the target is because it's constantly moving. So I, I think it's important that you clearly articulate what your vision is. Um, you know, in, in your world, it could be this project needs to be done by this date uh, or this number of projects. You know, if you're a home builder, so many homes need to be built, uh, you know, where so much material needs to be saved. You know, let's reduce job site waste. You know, whatever that vision is, uh, it needs to be articulated. Everybody needs to understand it. And if you build it from a grassroots perspective, uh, it helps. Uh, I did this as leader. Um, you know, there, there's this perception that in Harrisburg there's a lot of power uh, in, in certain positions, the leader and the speaker being two of them. Uh, but truthfully, as leader, I told the chairman, I said, here's kind of my big vision. You know, I want to talk about workforce development. I want to talk about educational opportunities. I want to talk about healthcare access. You know, whatever topics you know we pick, we call them themes. And then I would go sit down with the 26 chairman when we were in session. I did chairmen's regular chairmen's meetings and say, here's where I'd like to go. Who has bills in their committee that fit into these topics? And we build an entire legislative agenda uh, with those numbers that I just shared. It was ne- it was se- nearly 700 bills, I think, that ultimately passed last session. And we had a record number of bills that got to the governor's desk and were signed into law, probably more so in the last 15 to 20 years. And I think it's really because it it was driven from the bottom up. It wasn't me calling the chairman and said, I need you to run this bill tomorrow. It was, what do you think helps us reach this goal that I've articulated? And how do you think we best get there? Because when you do that, when you empower the people under you, they have the opportunity to work with their skill sets and they get buy-in. And more importantly, in my case, they get the committee members to buy in. So for you, it could be your work crews and, and different things and say, look, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to work. We're going to be as efficient as possible. And by doing that, we actually ended up being more successful. And we we were able to work towards common goals where everybody clearly understood their purpose. And I, I just think that's really important uh, because once people, you know, if they abide by a rough outline, similar to what I alluded to earlier, that, that you that you treat everyone with respect, you do the things, You know, everybody's treated the same, and, that's, and part of that's respect. Like, I'm not going to ask you to work an extra shift if I'm not willing to do it myself, and then you leave things better than you found it. That's going to be good for your culture and your company. It's going to be good for your customers, and it's going to be great for your employees because they're going to feel like they, they have a purpose.
0: Brian, I I really like what you said there about uh, you know clearly defining a vision, and 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 again you know you you're you're working in a really competitive, uh, diverse world, and there's a lot of things coming at you. How, how do you handle that? Like like how do you handle the stress? How do you handle the anxiety of not only being in the spotlight, but ultimately being really the leader of not only committees, but the whole,
2: the whole house. How do you, how do you handle that? Well, a couple of things. One, I don't personalize anything you can not in this business. Um, You know, the political arena, there, there's, there's a lot of accusations that are thrown around. uh, And I tend to just throw myself into my work. I put my shoulder down and just move, Um, you know, working on different topics or, you know, whatever, whatever's before us. So that helps. Uh, But the other thing is quite frankly, you have to learn to delegate. Uh, because when you disperse the responsibility, uh, you also disperse the workload. And by doing that, you really create a better team. Uh, from the PR standpoint, I'll be the first to admit, and so would Mike, my, uh, my press person in my office, who's been with me since I was in the leader's office, um, Mike will tell you, I typically, um, you know, I, dodge inter- I won't say I dodge interviews, but I'm, I don't go out looking for them. Uh, I'm not into self-promotion. Um, and I'm just not interested in the press side because I'd rather get the work done. And I, I think when when you look at that, because uh, that to me is, uh, you know, you you can be a workhorse or you can be a show horse, and I'd much rather be a workhorse because that produces. And I, I think that when when you take that kind of uh, of approach, it's much more productive. Uh, I also in this job, you know, obviously we're up for reelection every two years, and I've always been. Uh, a firm believer that if you do your job, you never have to run for your job again. And I, I think that applies not just in the political arena, but that'll help you in whatever field you're in. If you do your job well, you never need to worry about what's the next promotion. It will present itself because of the the, the work ethic and the work product that you have produced. And you know just like happened with me when I applied for the NGO job uh, in the in an interventional lab, you know, he said, look, he goes, yeah, you'd be a great tech. He goes, but that's not where I want you. I want you over here instead. Uh, I, th- I think that potentially uh, happens quite frequently, actually, if given the opportunity. And uh, probably the other good piece of advice that I got uh, from r- former Representative Jerry Stern. Uh, he's out uh, from the mid-state, uh, below Altoona there. And uh, outside of Martinsburg, as a matter of fact, and he told me one of my very first days, he goes in this job, you need to understand something. He goes with every vote or decision you make, you upset 10 percent of the people get through your first 10 votes, understand that everybody's mad at you and just do your job. And he really spoke to don't become paralyzed by worrying what other people think, he said. You know, you take the information you have and you make the best decision you can at the moment you can. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt had a great quote that, uh, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is not make a decision. Uh, and and the, and the next best thing you can do is make a, a wrong decision, but make it in time. Uh, because you just, you have to go ahead and just, you know, make a decision and move. Otherwise you mm-hmm. become paralyzed. You might not respond to outside competition. You might not hire the right person. Uh, you can't over analyze something. Uh, or, or you miss opportunity. And there's a huge opportunity cost there. And uh, look, I'll, I'll be the first to admit when I'm wrong. That's why I invite people to challenge me through the 10th man principle. Uh, but I'm also confident enough because I, I live by those rules that I outlined that when people confront me, they're not going to do it in a malicious or a mean way. They're going to say, hey, look, I think there's a better way. There's a different approach. What do you think? And, um, you know, I actually got a text yesterday from from a colleague who we've debated some issues recently and he said i want you to know um, i i greatly respect that we can disagree but do so in a very agreeable way and uh, i just think that that uh, speaks highly of them and i think it speaks highly of the approach and we Uh, need more of
1: that
2: we we certainly do um that's why if, if you look at any of my speeches john I generally always talk about a couple of things. One, it's these three rules. Two, it's the Constitution, because that's the only law that matters, uh, because ultimately it's derived from the people. You know, I cracked a joke yesterday during my swearing-in speech. I said, you know, the most important people aren't in this room, and they're not in the Senate either. Um, they're actually everybody outside the Senate's here. And that's that's important, uh, because you have to remember who you're working for.
0: We're we're speaking today <laughs> with Brian Cutler, who's the Pennsylvania House of Representatives Speaker and Brian, thank you because hearing what you just said, uh, you know, with all the things that are happening on a national level, and and it's obviously trickling down, and 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 you know about that better than anybody. But it's so refreshing to hear a common sense, logical approach to leading people, and it's to see that it's actually happening in our government is is fantastic. So I can't thank you enough for, for joining us today and, and and spending some time with us. And uh, we, we wish you the best of luck in, in this term
2: and um, in any future endeavors. Oh, well, thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate it. Thank you, John. Yeah, uh, thank you, Brian. I, I, I'd like to close, actually, if I could, with one thought, because uh, I want, I want yeah. to be very clear. Um, You know, wh- while this is my approach, I certainly don't want to give the opinion that it's always easy. Um because the, the truth is, you know, you, and you mentioned the national politics, which is what made me think of it, i've I've had protesters from both sides outside of my office and my home. Um, you know, and uh, you know, so obviously people are upset with some of the decisions I've made. Uh, but the the truth of the matter is doing the right thing is always right, regardless of when you do it. And, and that's probably the last thing I'd end with is it doesn't, you know you don't want the person who responds to the last person, that talked to them or protested them. You want the person who's gonna do the right thing all the time. And mm-hmm. if you live, I think, by these rules, I think that leads you and points you in the right direction.
1: That's something <laughs> I always say. to my <laughs> I'm like, just do the right thing in life. You know the right thing. So, yeah. so
0: it's and, a great
1: message.
0: <clears throat> spoken like a true leader. Uh, thanks, Brian. Yeah, yeah thank you're you. very welcome.
2: Thanks again for having me on.
0: Thank you for joining the Building PA Podcast presented by PJ Dick. To stay up to date, follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. Thanks for listening.